John 4, we'll read the first three verses there. The Bible says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. We referenced uh, verse number uh, uh, verse number three rather back when we were studying First John two, and so we'll go back into that this evening. And uh, the title of the message is this: the Christian skeptic. The Christian skeptic. Christian God has called you to be a skeptic. Now, you, you obviously anything taken too far is bad, uh, but there are too many folks out there that call themselves Christians and they're gullible, and they fall for every whim of doctrine that comes their way. And uh, they, they are deceived by people who are smooth and slick and are able to sell them a bill of goods. And Christian God has called you to be somewhat of a skeptic and to use, his, uh, use great discernment in who you allow to influence you. So the Christian skeptic, let's pray. Lord, we pray you'd help us to understand the passage and more importantly the truths. We live in a day and age where getting our hands on preaching is easy. We can turn on the TV and find it. We can turn on the radio and find it. We can hop on uh, social media and find it. We can go to YouTube and we can find it. And Lord, uh, there are all sorts of people out there trying to tell us what the Bible says. Help us, Lord, to see from your uh, word tonight that the world is filled with many false prophets preaching a, a message that is against Scripture. And so, Lord, we pray that tonight you'd help us to uh, learn discernment and learn uh, to be careful. And Lord, learn to do what's right. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if life teaches you anything after a while, it teaches you to be skeptical. And I believe that everybody, on some level, has learned uh, to be a skeptic. But uh, the, the better you are at determining a fraud, the more slick someone is, and they'll come, uh, come along and come around, and everyone can be gotten by somebody. Let me say that again. Everyone can be gotten by somebody. If we're not walking with the Lord, if we're not putting on our spiritual armor, then someone can come along and can deceive us. Even if it's on a minor level, even if it's on a doctrine that maybe isn't core to what we believe, we can be deceived. This is why it's important that we look at and listen to everything and everyone with a sense of skepticism. Now, again, uh, you don't want to be such a skeptic that you cross your arms and sit there and say, well, preacher, bless me if you can. If that's your attitude, then you'll never grow and you'll never be a Christian. I just remind you of the church of Berea. Uh, the Bible says that they searched the scriptures daily. Why? They were cross-referencing Paul. They were making sure the message that the apostle Paul preached was biblical. And I would tell you this evening that I, for sure, am no better than the Apostle Paul. He had a deep learning, a deep understanding of the gospel. And uh, he was able to write eloquently in the book of Romans and several other New Testament books about salvation and many other doctrines. And if they held Paul's feet to the fire with the Bible, then I and no other preacher are any different. You ought to hold our feet to the fire. You ought to hold my feet to the fire. And so be somewhat of a skeptic. However, however, when a sermon is preached 
and you know that it is biblically sound, boy, open up your heart and let the Spirit of God challenge you and the way you live. We're going to jump in tonight and look at just a few truths about this idea of the Christian skeptic. Number one, notice the Christian's discernment. The Christian's discernment. Look with me in your Bibles, if you will, at 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Now, as I studied this truth about the Christian discernment, I was brought to a phrase found several times in the New Testament, and it is the phrase, prove all things. Prove all things. We're told in 1 Thessalonians 5 to prove all things, to hold fast to that which is good, to throw out the bad and to hold on to the good. Uh, the modern day free phrase would be chew up the meat and spit out what? Spit out the bones. And so we're to prove all things. And uh, here the Bible tells us we're to try the spirits. We're to put them to the test. That word spirit there refers to someone's, uh, um, uh, someone's breath. That word spirit involves someone's charisma, someone's influence. In fact, if you put your hand out in front of your mouth while you speak, what you'll feel is hot air hit your hand. That is your breath. That is your spirit. And uh, there are spirits out there that are in line with the Bible and in in line with God. You need to allow those spirits to influence you. There are spirits out there that are not in line with the Bible and do not please God. And then you have others that are a mix. Sometimes they're in line with God and sometimes they're not. James chapter 1 verse 5 says this, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Now, when I'm studying for a sermon, I have uh, the, the Bible, I read and study. I've shared this before, but if I'm going to preach through a passage like First John 4, I will read the first three verses ten times. That's the first thing I do. I will read it at least Ten times, and then after that I begin to write down key words out of that. And while, what, I, what I'm doing while I'm reading those verses is I'm praying and saying, Lord, what is it you were trying to convey through the Apostle John to me? What is it that you want me to convey to your people? Um, if I uh, study a passage and maybe I'm stuck and I need some help, I will pull out uh, some commentaries and uh, uh, men uh, who I trust, who I believe are doctrinally lined up with me, and I'll lay out those commentaries in my office. And as I'm reading over those commentaries, here is my prayer. Lord, show me which of these commentaries comes the closest to your meaning. And there are times I'll read a man and, and, and his opinion on a passage, and I'll say, you know what, that just doesn't ring true. That isn't that that just isn't quite right. I don't believe that's what uh, the 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 spirit was trying to convey through this passage. And I'll set that to the side. And uh, there are times where I'll sit in church and I'll listen to a sermon. Hey, I've even gone back and listened to myself preach and thought, you know, I don't know that I even agree with that anymore. And um, uh, so if you disagree with me, at times I disagree with me. So that's okay. Uh, But what am I getting at here? We need to ask God for wisdom so that we know how to discern. 
Uh, if you have your Bibles there, turn back over to 1 John 2. We're, we're in 1 John 4. Turn back over to uh, 1 John 2. The Bible says, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Now you go back a little bit earlier in this chapter, and you find we have an unction from the Holy One. What is that anointing or that unction? When you get saved, the Holy Spirit is given to you. He lives within you. You become the temple of God. And um, He helps you to understand. He helps you to understand truth. He is that verifier within you when you hear preaching, when you hear teaching, when you hear a, a, a breaking down of doctrinal truth. And so we must discern. We must discern. So what is it about others I am to discern. Letter A, notice their language. Their language. We are to discern their language. Now, let me just say, there are some really eloquent speakers out there. They can use their words to move your emotions. They can use their words to inspire you and even challenge you to live a better life. Uh, but just because someone makes you feel good does not mean they should earn the right to be your leader. Let me say that again. Just because someone makes you feel good inside, just because someone one time preached a sermon that, that, that grabbed you and shook you emotionally down to the core, does not mean that they have earned the right to be your leader. Now, I don't mean to compare the, the list of preachers I'm about to read off here. I don't mean to put them in the camp of Adolf Hitler because I don't believe they belong in the camp of Adolf Hitler. But if you go back and you watch Adolf Hitler speak to the masses, what you'll find is a very charismatic man who spoke with a lot of emotion, who spoke with a lot of eloquence, who, when he spoke... People were moved. People uh, uh, went to the death for that man. People uh, committed atrocities on his behalf. Why? Because he was an eloquent speaker that was able to move people. I have stood in the back of this very auditorium and I have spoken to people who have attended this church and they have mentioned somebody's name who is a false prophet. They have mentioned people who are good preachers or, or good public speakers and said, well, I really like this person and, and, and I really enjoy uh, their speaking ability. And, and, and it is difficult to move someone away uh, from someone they enjoy once they have an emotional connection with them. Please hear me. Just because someone is able to make an emotional connection with you does not give them the right uh, uh, to have a, a car blanc to be able to just give you every whim of doctrine that they desire. You need to guard your heart. The world is enamored with people like Joel Olstein, Joseph Prince, Andy Stanley, Creflo Dollar, and many, many from this Hillsong movement. Uh, because they're able to inspire the heart with their preaching. Oftentimes, these men preach sermons that are out of balance biblically. Again, it's not so much what they say, it's what they won't say. It's what they won't say. They, they, what they preach oftentimes is right, but they're not giving you the whole counsel of God. Sometimes these men, and this is just a small sampling, these men are popular, but sometimes these men, they're just flat out wrong doctrinally. And we open up our hearts because one time they moved us, and we allow them to sway us doctrinally. 
Then there are other preachers, and I would put myself in this camp. There are other preachers out there who stumble over their words. They're not quite as attractive in their speaking ability. Uh, maybe they don't have as much hair, and they're not as handsome as some of these guys. I look at people like Joel Olstein on TV. I don't know what he pays his stylist uh, to get his hair to look that way. I don't know how much his suits cost. Uh, but the man clearly is taking God's money from God's people or money from people and he is investing a lot into his appearance. And there's nothing wrong with making your appearance uh, look good to a point. Uh, but there are people out there that maybe they don't look the part and maybe they're not quite as elegant in their speaking ability. But you know what? They open up the Bible and they preach the truth. We should not concern ourselves with one's speaking ability, but rather... The content of the sermon. How biblical is the message? As a boy, I loved eating at um, fancy restaurants. I didn't get to do it very often. Um, I can probably count on one time how many times we went to a super, super expensive restaurant as a boy. Oftentimes when I'd go, it was with a friend and their parents were taking me out, right? Uh, but we'd go to some fancy restaurant and... Some chef would prepare a meal that I, I hope my, my mom was watching this morning. Mom, if you're watching now, please don't be offended, okay? Um, uh, and I didn't know my mom was watching this morning, so I'm glad I didn't say anything crazy. Uh, but um, the chef would prepare a meal well beyond my mother's abilities. Now, I believe my mom was a better cook than these people, but in that one area, that one dish, that one meal, that chef was an expert. And I would sit there and I would eat that meal and I would just let the juices from that food explode in my mouth and I would savor every bite. But you know what? It wasn't that chef that got me through week by week. It was my mother. It was my mother day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year that provided nutritious and delicious and consistent sustenance for me to eat, to keep me going. Now that has been passed on to my wife, and my wife does a fantastic job feeding me. Furthermore, my mother cooked for me with love. That chef that wasn't preparing a meal for me with love, maybe he loved my money and my wallet, but he didn't love me. He didn't love me. He, he loved the money he earned. My mother cooked those meals out of love for me. Uh, you can go turn on the TV and you can listen to some preacher uh, that isn't me. I don't like being a TV preacher, unfortunately, right now I am. Uh, but uh, uh, you can go find somebody who has a professional uh, a setup and has a national audience and preaches on TV to tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. And he may be a better preacher than me. He may be a better preacher than anyone that attends this church, but my friend, I promise you, he doesn't love you as much as I do. I promise you that preacher doesn't care for you as much as I do. And you need to make sure you open up your heart and let the man of God who opens up the Scriptures every week and feeds you nutritious, spiritually balanced and consistent meals and give your heart to the preaching of God's Word from this pulpit right here. In a perfect world, you would find someone who is a great orator, who waxes eloquent and proclaims the Bible accurately. But if you have to choose, then choose someone who proclaims the Bible accurately 
and not someone who is just a great public speaker. Christian discernment. What are we discerning? Well, we're discerning their their language. Who are we giving influence to? Someone who preaches the scriptures. Someone who preaches the truth. Letter B, we're discerning their lifestyle. Their lifestyle. First John chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus said this. He said, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgments. Judge not according to the appearance. You see, the Pharisees talked a good game. The Pharisees told others the right way to live. The Pharisees looked the part outwardly. It was not the language of the Pharisees that was the problem. It was their lifestyle that was the problem. The the Pharisees worshipped religion and lacked relationship. They majored on minors. They cared more about popularity with man uh, than pleasing the master. A lot of folks can, can talk the talk, but they fail in walking the walk. This is why Jesus commanded that we not just be hearers of the word, but what? But doers of the word. Doers of the word. Why? Unless we deceive our own selves and the truth be not in us. If you hear the word, but you don't do the word, then you give yourself the deceptive premise that I'm doing right. Uh, this is a problem in America, and I believe this is part of the reason why God is rattling our cage right here. Our churches are filled with people that are self-righteous because they listen to truth, but they don't live truth. They know the language of truth, but they're not living a lifestyle of truth. And my friend, if you're not going to live the truth, then you're not worthy of it. The calling of a minister is the gospel of Christ. Not just in his language, but in his lifestyle. If a preacher talks about the gospel, but cannot share the gospel, or does not share the gospel with the world around him, then he does not deserve your influence. I remember as a college student, we had a pastor uh, that um, pastored the church where I went to college. And he talked about bus routes. He talked about soul winning. He talked about handing out gospel tracts. He talked about doing these things. But he never talked about how he did it. Now maybe he did. But I was left with the impression that he pushed everyone else to do it. But he himself didn't do much of it. If a preacher preaches about the gospel, but himself does not share the gospel, then his language is right, but his lifestyle is wrong. And he is not worthy of your influence. If a preacher talks about handing out gospel tracts, but he himself never hands out gospel tracts, then he is, has his language right, but his lifestyle wrong. He is not worthy of your influence. The world is filled with men who are great public speakers, but poor public servants. Let me say that again. The world is filled with men today who are great public speakers, but are poor public servants. They care only about collecting a paycheck and care little for the broken on the pavement outside of their church. Oh, they'll take the paycheck on payday, but that person walking down the pavement, who
who is without hope, boy, they get in their car and they drive right past them and never see them. I'm talking about evangelists that stay in nice hotels, eat at fine restaurants, collect nice love offerings, preach the same seven sermons uh, 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 from church to church, but these men have no interest in soul winning. I won't share the name because it's irrelevant. This person's already passed away, I believe, probably is in heaven. But there was an evangelist who would come to our church every year when I was a boy. And he'd get up and he'd preach. And boy, he could preach. He was an excellent public speaker. Our pastor of our church there was not as good of a public speaker as this evangelist was. And But our pastor was a soul winner. In fact, our pastor probably went soul winning 20 hours a week. The pastor that led me to the Lord. Seriously. 20 hours every week, he was out knocking on doors. Now that shows me up. I can't say I'm out soul winning 20 hours a week. I went out with him one time and I was just an 11 or 12 year old boy. It was just me and him. And he was in his upper 60s. And boy, he'd go knock on someone's door. His name was Brother Williams. He'd knock on someone's door. And if that person didn't answer the door in 20 seconds, he was down the pavement on to the next one. I was out of breath by the time we got to the end of the street. This pastor of mine was leaving me in the dust. I was just a little kid. And uh, he was a soul winner. I remember our pastor, my dad was on staff, so I had the inside scoop. My, our pastor invited this evangelist to go out soul winning with him. And the evangelist said, Brother Williams, I'd prefer you not invite me. I'm busy. Well, what are you doing? Well, I, I'm an author. And during the day, I'm in my uh, hotel room and I'm, I'm writing books. Well, well, what are you writing? He had started his own set of Christian romance novels. Christian romance novels. The man had no time to go soul winning. But he had time to write books. That he pushed and sold from his book table in the lobby. And America is filled, and I'm speaking even within the Baptist movement. Uh, and I won't linger here because I don't know how relevant it is to the audience this evening. But America is filled with Baptist evangelists who look suave, who preach sharp, who uh, go out and eat at nice restaurants and stay in nice hotels and collect a large paycheck uh, uh, on a circuit each year. But they have no interest in doing the work of an evangelist. My friend, these folks do not deserve your influence. And as your pastor, I commit to protect this pulpit from people like that. Pastors who preach three sermons and then find their way, find ways to avoid their responsibility to counsel the broken and witness to the lost. These pastors are not deserving of your influence. They're preachers and not pastors. And my friend, God has called pastors to lead churches, not just preachers. You are to be careful who you allow to influence you. Number one, we see the Christian's discernment. Number two, notice Satan's deceivers. Satan's deceivers. Go back with me in 1 John chapter 4 and look at verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Pay attention to verse 3. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Notice letter A, an abundance of deceivers. An abundance of deceivers. Look back at verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Why? Because many, many false prophets are gone out into the world. Many 
false prophets. Now remember, this was written 40 or 50 years after the ascension of Christ into heaven. Uh, some 1950 years later, 1930 years later, how much more true is this today? Some preachers have uh, the right message, but they have the wrong motive. Others have the right motive, but they have the wrong message. What do I mean? I don't believe every false prophet in the world today gets up and intends to be deceiving. They themselves have been deceived by the father of lies. And they get up and they proclaim a message that is false. There are priests all over this country today in Catholic churches that got up and they held a, a, a digital mass, a live stream mass. I don't believe every one of those men today got up in front of a camera and, and went through all of the rituals of being a priest in an attempt to deceive people. I think most of them are well intended. Their motives are right. But you know what? Their message is wrong. Their message is wrong. Why? They have been deceived and now they're deceiving others. Other people... Their message is right, but their motive is wrong. They have the right message, but they're preaching it with the wrong spirit. They're preaching it for their own personal gain. Satan uses sincere people all the time. And the wrong message uh, that leads uh, people astray. Why? Because Satan is a liar. Satan is a deceiver. Satan is a murderer, and he will do whatever it takes to oppose God in his salvation plan. One tactic that Satan uses is to draw people uh, to a personality. Cults are started this way. Some semblance of their message is true, but the glory is given to the leader and not to the Lord. Back uh, to my college days, I can remember going into the dorms and uh, people saying things like, preacher said, preacher said, and that's what they called the pastor, they called him preacher. And there's nothing wrong with calling the pastor preacher. I get called preacher occasionally. There's nothing wrong with that. But preacher said, preacher said, preacher said. And I remember one time stopping a guy in the dorms, and I'm just a knuckleheaded 19-year-old kid. And, and I, listen, I had a lot of things out of balance up until probably my late 20s that the Lord was refining me and getting me back in balance. But I remember looking at one guy in the dorms as a 19-year-old sophomore, and I said to him, I don't care what preacher says, what does the Bible say? And it was like I hit him in the gut. How dare you question the leader? Listen, are we concerned about what personality is leading us? Or are we concerned about the Word of God? I don't say this to be self-deprecating. I say this and I mean it wholeheartedly. There are times where, there are times where I don't feel this way. There are times where I get in the flesh and I wish the opposite. But as I put the sermon together, God affirmed to me, give me the glory and the praise for anything and everything good that happens at White Oak Baptist Church. I uh, go back and listen to myself preach. And I'm a harsh critic of myself. I, uh, I don't like listening to myself preach. I hate even worse watching myself preach. I listen to myself preach and I think, boy, you, you are, there's not much personality on you, buddy. I, I go back and look at myself, especially from these various camera angles, and I think, well, you know, we really need to fix that camera angle. It shows my bald spot really, really bad. And I, and I, you all are used to seeing it, but I'm not. 
I, I, I get one appearance of myself in the mirror every morning, and that's too much for me to handle. And I, I thank God that he has not given me a large personality. I don't want White Oak Baptist Church to be built on the foundation of Richard Lejeune. I want White Oak Baptist Church to be built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. To him be glory in the church. Why? If a church is built on a person other than Jesus Christ, then that ministry is wrong. An abundance of false prophets. Boy, there are churches all over America where the pastor is the king. Jesus is not king. Another tactic that Satan uses is to draw people who are intellectuals to some sort of deeper knowledge that are uh, that uh, the average man can't understand. And uh, can I just say this? The gospel message is not complicated. It's just not. Believe and receive. Now, are there deep things in the Bible to uncover? Are there? Uh, is there a vast ocean of truth to dive down in and to, and to understand and, and to grow and to learn? Yes. Do you need to be able to do that to be part of the family of God? Absolutely not. Children can come to the Lord and be saved. And uh, I don't want to be a part of some religion that is so complicated, uh, the Bible, uh, that a child cannot walk in and understand and feel a part. I want to be part of a church where uh, you don't need to be a big-bottom theologian in order to, 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 to feel like you fit. Another tactic that Satan uses is to prey on the emotionally weak. There are those who go to church to get their ears tickled. They, they want to be told how rough it is out there and how much God loves them in spite of them. Um, now, God does love you in spite of you. But you need to be careful about someone who's just always saying, now they're there. You're going to make it another week. I had one couple who uh, are members of our church here. Uh, as I was interviewing them for membership, uh, they said... Um, Pastor, we're coming from another church in the area. It's a large church in the area. The name of the church doesn't matter. But they said, Pastor, we just don't feel like we fit there anymore. And I said, well, why not? They said, because the preaching is shallow. I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, Pastor, it's like, uh, and, and if you know what this is, it, it will make sense. But they said, every week it feels like we're getting a TED Talk with a Bible verse mixed in. We're getting a TED Talk with a Bible verse mixed in. Um, there is this shallow preaching out there, and here's the idea. God loves you, and he revolves around you. My friend, God does not revolve around me or you. He created us to revolve around him. God did not make you so he could bring you glory and make you feel good. You say, Pastor, I'm suffering, and if God loved me, He wouldn't let me suffer. My friend, God does not parent the way you and I parent. God's willing to let us suffer if it brings Him glory. Joel Olstein said one time, this is pick on Joel Olstein night, you have to forgive me. Joel Olstein said uh, uh, one time in one of his sermons, he said, if God had a refrigerator, He'd have your picture on it. He said, if God had a cell phone... Your picture would be his wallpaper. And to that I say, fooey on that preaching. God did not create you so he could just come dote all over you. God created you to love on him. Preachers that preach to the emotionally weak. Preachers that preach a, you can make it one more week. 
And the preacher almost becomes the medicine to get you by week after week after week. Hey, listen, um, it is my job to give you the milk of God's word. It's your job to grow thereby. And you begin to develop your own spiritual teeth and then devour the meat of God's word on your own. You still need to keep coming back for the milk. But my friend, the goal is not to have me coddle you for the next 30 years. The goal is for me to help you grow uh, uh, through the preaching of God's word. And then you begin to grow on your own. Letter B. Letter A, we looked at an abundance of deceivers. Letter B, let's look at the aim of deceivers. The aim of deceivers. Look at verse 3. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already uh, is, is it in the world. What is the aim of a deceiver? The aim of a deceiver is to lead away from truth. Well, who is truth? Jesus is the truth. So what was the objective of the life of Christ? The Son of Man, uh, for the Son of Man has has come to seek and to save what? That which was lost, Luke 19.10 tells us. So what was the objective of the life of Christ? To save sinners. So follow my logic here, okay? The aim of a deceiver is to lead people away from truth. Who is truth? Jesus is truth. What was the objective of Jesus' life? The objective was to save sinners. And so what is the aim of a deceiver? The aim of a deceiver is to lead people away from Jesus and his ability to save them. To lead people away from Jesus and his ability to save them. There are many methods that Satan uses to accomplish his goal uh, or his aim. One method is to flat out deny Jesus and his deity. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Another tactic is to ignore his deity. And yet another tactic is uh, to claim on paper that a church or church leader believes in Christ's deity, but rarely is it ever actually talked about. Oh, we, we, we claim we do, but it's rarely discussed. It's rarely discussed. What am I talking about? I'm talking about churches that are cutting back their service schedule. They used to meet three times a week, and then they went to twice a week, and now they meet once a week. Um, The Bible says that we're supposed to meet that much the more as you see the day approaching. What is happening here? Sinners are not led to Christ as church services are diminished because they have fewer opportunities to be saved. Uh, Preachers that used to preach that we're to share our faith, well, that message isn't popular, so I'm just not going to preach it. Well, if as a pastor I'm not pushing you to share your faith, you know what? I'm encouraging, I'm discouraging the community from hearing that gospel message. The aim of Satan is to take as many people to hell as he can. Make no excuse about it. He hates God. He hates Jesus. He hates that he rose from the dead. He hates that he's going to live forevermore. He hates that he wants to save sinners. And he's going to do everything he can to take as many people to hell as possible. Let's finish the sermon uh, with uh, with uh, a doctrinal lesson, if we can. I think this will really be an encouragement to you and help ground you in your faith. Number three, notice Christ's deity. Christ's deity. Go back to verse two. Last week we looked at uh, once I'm saved, I'm always saved. And tonight we're going to give you several rapid fire bullet points that that show you that Jesus is God. All right. It's very important to understand this. First, first John four two. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Now, unpacking that verse, we see the name Jesus. That identifies the person. 
we see the title of Christ or Messiah. That identifies that he is the fulfillment of the prophets, uh, of the prophecy of the prophets, and the coming one who would uh, die for the sins of the world. We see there is come in the flesh, uh, is of God. We see an endorsement from God the Father, and we see that he has come and robed himself in flesh, the incarnation of Christ. How do you know if someone or something is right or wrong? You measure. Uh, you must measure the philosophy or the person against the standard of truth. Against the standard of truth. Um, in England, there is a yardstick. And it is the official yardstick that all yardsticks are made by. There is something called an atomic clock. And uh, every clock is measured against the atomic clock. I heard a story about a radio station that said it's, this was back before uh, cell phones, uh, said it's clock, the radio station said it's clock uh, by the, uh, cl- the store across the street and the clock they had in the window. And the store with the clock in the window said it's time uh, by the radio station. And so they both set their time by each other. And after about a year, someone uh, called the radio station and said, you are off by three minutes. And they said, well, we set our clock uh, by the, the, the clock in the window across the street. And so they called the, the store and they said, well, uh, you know, your clock's off by three minutes. And they said, well, we set our clock uh, by the radio station. You see the problem here. They, they were not uh, measuring by the right standard. And a lot of people measure their life by a false standard and they don't know that they're off because uh, they're made to feel as though everything's right. A similar illustration, um, a bunch of newspaper boys in London back in the 1800s were all riding around town humming off key, off tune, off pitch. And someone took note, these guys are all off pitch, off tune, and they noticed that the bells at the at the church tower there in London were off tune. And because the bells were off tune, that bell was off tune, then the boys humming and singing became off tune. We must not measure ourselves against our favorite preacher. We must not measure ourselves against our favorite, uh, our favorite church service or our, our favorite uh, uh, newspaper article, our favorite church news article. We must measure ourselves by the standard of truth. Who, who is that? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, I am, amongst other things, the truth. I am the truth. If a church or a preacher is going to lead people astray and deceive them. You know what they're going to do? They're going to reach into the person of Jesus Christ and they're going to mess up the doctrine of Jesus. If you want to know if a denomination has it right, look at their doctrine of Christ. That's the first thing Satan goes for to mess up. Now, um, you've heard the illustration about the banker. I've used it here. I'm sure you've probably heard it from Pastor Pezlak and Pastor Brown. I think every preacher has, uh, that's preached has used the illustration. But you don't know a counterfeit by studying all the counterfeits. You know a counterfeit by studying the real thing. We need to study the real thing. So let me give you who Jesus is from Scripture, okay? These are going to be rapid fire. I'll limit my comments. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternal. John chapter 8, verse 58 says this, Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. You know what that means? He's always existed. Jesus is eternal. Here's another one. Jesus was born 
from a virgin's womb. Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 25, the verses should come up on your screen there. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was the spouse of Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary uh, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, this is a quote from Isaiah 7:14. Behold, a virgin, a virgin, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from his sleep, uh, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, knew her not, until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Listen, the virgin birth matters. Don't ever let anybody tell you otherwise. Andy Stanley was interviewed a couple of years ago, and he was asked this question, was Jesus uh, virgin born? And you know what he said? He said it doesn't matter. He said it doesn't matter. Now, I know Andy Stanley has a large following. And I know a lot of what Andy Stanley says is enjoyable to listen to. But if Andy Stanley doesn't believe in the virgin birth of Christ, then Andy Stanley's a heretic. My friend, it matters that Jesus was not born, uh, 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 that Jesus was born through a virgin's womb. It matters. Because if Mary wasn't a virgin, then Jesus could not be the Son of God. Jesus was not born with sinful, man-made blood. Jesus was born with divine blood flowing through his veins. You be careful. You be careful. If Satan is going to deceive, he deceives small. He deceives little. He's subtle. He'll change the doctrine of Christ. Here's another one. Jesus was tempted, but never sinned. Jesus was tempted, but never sinned. Hebrews 4.15, For we have an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, speaking of Jesus, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus was tempted to sin, but he never gave in. He never sinned. He was perfect. Jesus was 100% man and, at the same time, 100% God. John 1, 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14 of that same chapter says, And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's another one. Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Now be careful there, because if you don't have a King James Bible, you don't have the King James Version of the Bible, uh, oftentimes, in a lot of versions, they will remove the word begotten. And that makes this a false doctrine. Uh, we know there are other sons of God found in Scripture. In fact, John 1.12 tells us that if you believe you are a son of God. Jesus was a son of God, but Jesus wasn't just any son of God. He was the only begotten son. He was the only beloved, the only beloved son of God. Uh, Jesus' death was voluntary. 
He was not, he didn't just uh, die uh, because he, um, uh, he was forced into it. John 10, 17 through 18, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my uh, Father. Not only was Jesus' death uh, uh, voluntary, Jesus' death was vicarious. What does that mean? That means it was our substitute. Romans 5, 8. But God committeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Not only was Jesus' death vicarious, Jesus' blood has power over sin and is essential to salvation. First John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. The blood of Christ matters. It, 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 there, I believe uh, uh, Mr. MacArthur has recanted this statement, but back in the 80s and 90s, he claimed that the blood of Jesus did not matter. I believe he's changed that. But at one point, he claimed that. And I have to say, the blood of Jesus does matter. And the blood of Jesus is important. And the blood of Jesus is the only thing that can absolve sin off our record, that can blot out our sin. Uh, Don't ever let anyone discount the doctrine of the blood of Christ. By the way, a lot of Protestant churches, Methodist churches, Presbyterian churches, they are taking out hymnals that deal with the blood of Jesus. Not only was Jesus' death voluntary and vicarious, his resurrection was victorious. Matthew 28, verse 6 says, He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. My friend, Jesus did not just swoon. Jesus died. And after he died, he took up his own life. He rose again from the dead. He is alive forevermore. His resurrection was victorious. And Jesus' reign is majestic. Philippians chapter 2, 9 through 11. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of uh, things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And one more here. Jesus offers salvation to everyone. Now, I included this one here at the end. For our Calvinist friends, there are those who claim that Jesus did not die for everyone and that only the elect get to be saved. Let me just read for you Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack. And that word Lord there, uh, is, it means Jesus. Uh, Jesus is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Listen to the all-encompassing words used in the rest of this verse. Not willing that any should perish, but that... All should come to repentance. Jesus Christ wants to save everyone. How do you know if someone is the real deal? Christian God's called you to be a skeptic. How do you know if they've gotten it right? Well, are they preaching Jesus Christ crucified, risen from the dead? Are they preaching that Jesus Christ is God? Are they preaching the whole counsel of the Word of God? Are they preaching not only what makes you feel good, but at times what steps on your toes and hurts? Are they not only exhorting you, but at times rebuking you? Does their lifestyle, for the most part, back up the language? Are they living a lifestyle of the gospel of Christ? Are they following in the example that Christ set? Boy, let these people influence you. 
Surround yourself with preaching from these people. The message tonight is not about me. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. But I do want to make this commitment to White Oak Baptist Church. And I believe I speak on behalf of Pastor Morales, our associate pastor as well. We are not committed. We are not only committed to preaching the Bible. We are committed to doing our best to living the Bible. Are we perfect at it? No. Oh, no. Boy, we're weak. We're human. We make mistakes. We sin. I believe we probably both sin on a daily basis. I can't speak for him. I can speak for myself. But we are doing our very best to lift up Christ and Him crucified, Him risen from the dead. We're doing our best to share this Christ with the world. Boy, don't be attracted to some preacher that makes you feel good. Don't be attracted to some preacher that, that, that um, uh, has a large audience and, lacks, or, and speaks eloquently but lacks scriptural teaching. Don't be attracted to some preacher who looks better than I do. Um, uh, be attracted to the preaching of God's Word. And let's lift up Christ together. Let's grow together. I finish with this. I had a conversation with Brother Jim Owens and Brother John Segrew. And uh, both men gave me basically the same testimony at two separate times. They both said that after they got saved under Pastor Brown, that they were listening to other preachers via tape. The day came where they took those tapes and those radio stations and they shut them off or threw them away. And they both said this, I'm not going to be confused by hearing multiple sources. Pastor Brown is my pastor. I'm going to let him be my spiritual guide. And they both said the same thing. That was one of the best decisions for my Christianity I could have ever made. How about you tonight, Christian? I'm not asking you to be blind. I'm asking you to be a skeptic. I'm asking you to take everything that's preached from this pulpit and weigh it against the Bible. But let's not be confused by listening to multiple sources. Let's be sheep tuned into one shepherd. And let's let that shepherd lead us into the paths of righteousness for his namesake. He's the good shepherd. He's given me the responsibility of being the under-shepherd. And together, let's grow closer to the Lord. Lord, we pray that this evening you would take 1 John 4 in these first few verses and help us to consider where we're being fed from. Help us to consider, uh, Lord, um, the source of our spiritual meals. Lord, my prayer is that each person who is a part of this church is daily in the Bible, growing on their own. But Lord, as we tune ourselves to the first chair violinist, may we not be distracted looking around the country. Lord, we live in a day where the internet provides lots of preaching. Lord, may we be careful. Lord, help us to be able to identify the spirit of Antichrist versus the spirit of Christ. Lord, may we know you inside and out. May we not just have religion. May we have a deep, profound relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray.